this is what's happened in the wine industry. They're not trying to make wine better or healthier. They're trying to make it faster and cheaper. Mm-hmm. Right. right. And so this is what people are drinking. So when you go to the grocery store, you see these hundreds of thousands of bottles. Most of those are made in factories in Central California by a handful of companies. That's just the facts. And so to make wine in that volume, you need to use additives and chemicals. Hi, I'm Zoe. Hi, I'm Erica. Hey, Erica. This is our podcast. Well, what do we do on the podcast? Uh, we talk to wellness experts. What do we talk about? Mm, wellness stuff. And why are we doing this? Because we want to have an inclusive conversation about things that you can actually use and apply to your life. Right. We don't think that wellness should feel preachy. We think it should feel like everybody can participate. That's right. So if you like what you hear, tell a friend. Give us five stars. They're do all free. All of the above. All of the above. And think of us as your navigators on the bumpy highway to well. We're recording live from where the secrets are kept. And by secrets, you mean underwear. Oh, yeah. This is where we keep all of our dirty laundry. (laughs) Literally in the closet. It's disgusting. (laughs) It's actually quite literal. Well, well, we're here to talk about one of our favorite topics. Popcorn. (laughs) What? Incorrect. (laughs) No. What are we talking about? I'm talking about drinking wine. You know, it's something like that. Yeah. Wine goes really well with popcorn. Though. Wine does really go well with popcorn. I enjoyed some last night myself. Um, yes. Dry farm wine. Actually, you know what? I always, I never can remember where to put the S. How weird does that sound? Dry farm <laughs> wine or dry farm wines? Wines. Is well, it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Todd White is the founder and really just has a cool story and a very fun and lively approach to life in general, which I appreciated. And I guess that probably comes from drinking, what did he say, a bottle of wine every night? Yeah, but it's low alcohol. It's organic. I mean, this is the funny thing about dry farm wines. And everybody I tell doesn't totally believe me until they kind of sign on. But it, it, it's just a couple of percentages lower than your average like somewhere around 12% alcohol per bottle. But anyway, it doesn't have any of the nasties in it. So it doesn't have like all the gross preservatives and all the other junk that people don't realize are in like just conventional wine. Yes. And And like the crazy thing is that there, it's not like one or two things. There are like 75 different things that you can put in, in wine and you don't have to disclose it on the label. It's a long ass list. So like, Yes, it's not regulated, which is so shocking. But anyway, so this is the thing about this wine is that you really can drink a bottle of it and like have zero hangover. And it just is like, it just tastes so good. And I think it maybe it sounds strange to say like, oh, it's enjoyable to drink a bottle of wine every night. But like, of course it is. If you're not getting hammered and you don't wake up feeling like shit, like wine tastes great. Who wouldn't want to drink like a bottle of wine every night? <laughs> anyway, am I revealing too much? Anyway, he, he, he's had a very, it's just, he's had a, an interesting journey. He's just an all around fun dude that we're going to hang out with when he comes to Brooklyn. Yes, because there's lots of, a lot of natural wine um, destinations on the list for him to come and check out. Todd, if you're listening, we can't wait. We can't wait till the pandemic's over, Todd, to hang out. It's going to be great. <laughs> See you in 2025. Sounds good. We'll just continue to drink lovely, delicious natural wine until then. 
I'm going to continue to drink dry farm wine, lovely, organic, delicious in my closet by myself until the pandemic <laughs> is over. <laughs> Thank you. Signing off. <laughs> Have a listen and enjoy. We love giving you ad-free episodes, but you're going to have to listen to this one real quick because this episode is brought to you by us. Yes, our brand new brand, Earth and Star, is taking your daily habits like cold brew and matcha and elevating them with adaptogens to give you some ridiculously healthy benefits. Benefits such as cognitive function, calm, stamina, and a huge boost to your immune system, which I think we can agree we all need right now. Our super convenient, ready-to-drink lattes are 100% certified organic and plant-based made with, what else? Rothy oat milk. Is there any other kind of oat milk today? I don't think so. No packets or tubs or clumpy, weird powder that no matter how much you try to mix it, it never seems to dissolve. Just a delicious little can of magic. We've got all the flavors. We've got cold brew coffee, matcha, turmeric, cacao, which is basically adult chocolate milk. And we are adding 2000 milligrams, that is no small dose, of functional mushroom extracts like lion's mane and chaga to basically upgrade your everyday habit into a kick-ass functional latte. Kick-ass. Kick-ass. Available at earthandstar.com. Take 15% off with the code HTW at checkout. Earth and Star Mushroom Lattes. Amazing taste. Healthy as sh. Finished a four day fast yesterday. Water oh, you fast. did? Yeah. Water fast? Yes, yeah, a four day water fast. I do them like once every six weeks. And you broke it with wine? I did break it with wine. I always break it with wine. <laughs> it's the only time I don't drink wine is when I'm on an extended fast. That's awesome. So how so how did you get into doing water fasts? And how do you prepare for your water? Well, I mean I don't prepare. It's like so I only eat once a day for like the last three and a half years. So I do twenty-two hour intermittent fasting every day. And I try to do a three or four or five day fast, you know, once a month or so. And um I don't know, I just you know, just lean out, just feel better. Yeah. Um, wait, so I have a question about your two hour window because I actually recently had a conversation with someone else who has a two hour window. And as much as wait, I'm what do you mean a two hour window, what do you like mean? a two hour window in which you actually eat, you know, the, oh, okay. the typical, okay, nice. like the typical intermittent fast is like, you know, 16, 16 and eight or whatever. Yep. That's but, the most common is 16, eight is really easy. But so 22 and two. So what mm-hmm. happens during those two hours? Is it just like, I drink, a lot, of wine. I drink a lot of wine. It's just a fucking party. <laughs> I mean, how many calories are you consuming in that two-hour window? I have no idea. Don't care. <laughs> Actually, I, I hope I consume less. Well, in theory, yes. Right. And- yeah, probably fifteen hundred. I would guess. Okay. You know, okay. uh, fifteen hundred calories. Not never more than two thousand. Never. How many of those calories are wine? Oh God, I don't know about that. <laughs> wine is I a. Know. I drink a bottle every night, so that's probably four hundred a night. Four hundred calories in wine. I love this. I like what you're doing. Uh, it sounds like an ideal way to live. Um, no, but seriously, give us. Well, I'm example. old. See, is the problem. Like I'm well, 60. Look, I know you're 200 years old, but you look right. like you're 30. Wait, well, did you really just say you're 60? That's not I'm true. 60. No, yes. you're not. Yeah. I, yes, I am. Holy shit! Yeah, you look. So I've been working on this for a while. Yeah. I mean, okay. I mean, I've been working on this anti-aging thing for like 20 years. 
Well, all right. part of that is just eating less, right? We eat too much and too often. That's correct. And so anyway, it's just a, you know, it's just a big deal. So fasting, fasting is the only way that I can keep my lean body mass where I want it. Right. I mean, it's, it's just, it's just because I'm not, I'm not like naturally thin, right? Like some people, like y'all are just blessed with that, right? Like you could probably eat anything and just be beautiful and thin. But me, I look at food, I get fat, right? So, <laughs> so and I like that 30 inch waist, right? It feels really good. As Granny said, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. That no, is- I think Kate Moss said that. Come on. Yeah, Kate. well, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever is the Kate Moss smoking cigarettes, trying to stay thin. Totally. totally. So, so there's smoke. only this is the good news. That means there's only a two-hour window for drinking wine as well. Yeah, and smoking cigarettes. And smoking. Right. No, there's not. You said there's the the wine is not in your two-hour window. You said the wine is just what your whenever time. No, I no, no, I don't drink before, so I don't never drink in the daytime ever. Like I only drink when I eat. Okay. And and then afterwards. So I eat in a two-hour window. I drink a little longer than that. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. That's, that's what I thought you were saying. You're like, it's it's really a two-hour window, and then the wine is just like you. The wine is just all night. All night. <laughs> oh it's okay. rock and roll. It's like a rock and roll lifestyle, but. Well, let's talk a little roll. bit about that all night wine. Yeah, because Yeah. I feel like back in the day, I mean, I myself am also 75 years old. I just look like Oh, nice. I like it. No, it's actually quite the opposite. Um, I, back in the day, I remember being able to like kick back and have some cocktails, wine, whatever, like late oh into the God. evening. And in the last, I would say five years or so, if I have wine a stroke past like 8 p.m., I'm up all night. I never go to sleep. Or if I do, I wake up at four on the dot and my heart is pounding and whatever. And it's all like... Well, that's remember when you had that rock and roll lifestyle. <laughs> oh my God, you just drink all night. Party like but a so, rock star. Throw so, televisions out the window. Right? <laughs> I mean, I trash my bedroom on a regular basis just to kind of like, you know, go back in, into the fields. Why does this, like the wine that you have, have introduced to the world and, and certainly to us... <laughs> With dry farm and and the whole concept of clean wine, like how how does it work and how is it so magically able to like let somebody sleep? Better? Let me stop on what you said there for a moment. So there's this clean wine movement, you know, a bunch of people who are like you know celebrities and who've introduced these wine brands and they call them clean. I, I don't know what clean wine means, right? So that's a marketing term. But what we do is we sell natural wines, mm-hmm. and natural wines are very very tiny segment of the wine category. And so it's a very confusing term to consumers that people say, what do you do? And it's like, I sell natural wine. And they're like, well, isn't all wine natural? Well, no, it's not. And here's why. So the wine industry has some dirty, dark secrets, right? Mm -hmm. And so, what's that? I said that was so spooky how you just said that. Well, they're dirty, dark secrets they don't want anybody to know about. So I've told a few million people about them (laughs) and here they are. So first of all, it begins with money and greed, right? So what's happened in our wine supply is the same thing that happened in our food supply. So there's been massive corporate consolidation in the food world. Nine or 10 companies touch almost everything that gets distributed in the food world in one way or another. Same things happen in the wine business. So with massive corporate consolidation fueled by Wall Street money, right? 52% of all the wines made in the United States are made by just three giant companies. Sorry, say that one more time. 
52% of the wines manufactured in the United States are made by just three giant companies. And the top 30 companies make over 70% of U.S. wines. Now, this is known to consumers. This, everything I'm going to tell you, and including that delicious fact, is easily verifiable with a Google search. Like you can search largest wine companies, their volume against the volume of the U.S. market, so on and so forth. It's very easy. So, but they don't want you to know this. So they hide behind thousands of brands and labels to confuse you. They want you to believe that you're drinking from a farmhouse or a chateau. That's what's on the label, right? But in fact, you're usually drinking from massive wine factories located in Central California. These are multiple football fields large, like six, eight, ten football fields. These are massive factories, right? Which you can also find on Google if you search wine factories in California. You'll see images of these, what we call tank farms. They're standing tanks. They're outside large wine tanks as far as you can see. And so this is what's happened in the wine industry. They're not trying to make wine better or healthier. They're trying to make it faster and cheaper. Mm -hmm. Right. right? And so this is what people are drinking. So when you go in the grocery store, you see these hundreds of thousands of bottles. Most of those are made in factories in Central California by a handful of companies. That's just the facts. And so to make wine in that volume, you need to use additives and chemicals because wine's very unstable in the fermentation process. It can get plagued with bacterias and other wine faults or broken fermentations and other things that cause risk to the winemaker for risk of loss. So you have to use chemicals and additives. And so the biggest dark secret of the wine business is that there are 76 additives approved by the FDA for the use in winemaking. So why is that important? Well, because there's no transparency on the bottle. That's why you don't know about that. Now, the 76 additives, and if you search wine additives, FDA, you'll find a list right online. Some of them are natural, but several of them are very toxic. And the problem with the lack of transparency and labeling on a wine bottle is you don't know what you're drinking, right? And so I care, like you do, about what I put in my body. And I am very vigilant about that, right? I'm also vigilant about sugar. I'm, I'm like rapidly anti-sugar. And so there's no nutritional label on your wine bottle either. So you don't know how much sugar's in it either. I think sugar is the most widely addictive destructive drug on the planet. And so, and also the cause, high blood glucose, which is not only caused by sugar, but fructose and all forms of highly glycemic foods. I believe the elevated blood glucose and the hyperproduction of insulin is the cause of most chronic illnesses. Mm -hmm. And so I tried to keep my blood glucose. In fact, I frequently wear a continuous glucose monitor you know, I'm like really serious about low, low blood glucose. I think it, I think insulin leads to aging and to all sorts of maladies. So anyway, back to wine is that, you know, we, I discovered this quite by accident. I live in the Napa Valley, the most famous wine appellation in North America. And I knew nothing about additives. I knew nothing about the problems with wine. Uh, neither does anybody else, including many people in the wine business and psalms. They don't know anything about it either. It's just really secret. 
right? And so, and I don't even think that people who are using these additives think that they're doing anything wrong because the people they learn for are also using these additives, right? So it's a generational thing. And it's also a safety thing, safety for their financial risk, right? So not safe for you, but safe for their financial risk. So that, you know, the other problem with modern and conventional wines is they're super high in alcohol, 14, 15, 15 and a half, 16 percent. You know, I don't drink anything over 12 and a half percent. We don't sell anything over 12 and a half percent. Most of the wines I drink are between nine and a half and 11 and a half percent just because I like to drink a bottle a night and I don't want to like have a whole bunch of alcohol. And I also like the taste of lower alcohol wines because they're friendlier with food and they're easier to drink. Alcohol is not food friendly. You don't have vodka with a salad, right? So, I mean, it's just. You you don't? No, no. <laughs> Speak for yourself. I don't drink spirits, as you might appreciate. Let's have a time out here. I'd get plenty of drinking in just with this wonderful low alcohol natural wine. Yeah. So anyway, that's kind of the story of what's going on. You know, alcohol, it surprises people that they, oh, the wine guy, Todd White, he's here to sell wine. Now, I'm not here to sell wine. I'm here to educate. And so it surprises people to hear me say the following. Alcohol is a dangerous neurotoxin. And it destroys millions of lives every year. Right. And so uh, that doesn't stop me from drinking. Although, as we were talking earlier about our rock and roll days and, you know, tequila shots and uh, all that, I mean, I have had periods of my young adult or middle adult life with, you know, tempestuous, uh, you know, relationship with alcohol. So uh, tedious at times. So, where, you know, it affected my productivity when I was younger. And then, of course, you grow out of that and you're like, hey, you know, can't, can't play this game. But I love drinking wine, right? I'm just, I love wine. I just don't really love alcohol. So uh, only in moderate doses, you know, just to raise euphoria, open the heart to love, you know, kind of things that wine does. Yeah. Just, I, I want to like dig a little bit deeper into that because I'm so fascinated by the FDA regs around this stuff. Um, but could you just... Where, where, how did you get into this? What is your background? What did you study? Like, how, how did you stumble into the world of heart opening viticulture? Well, it was quite by accident, actually. So, I've been an entrepreneur since I was 17. I've been self employed since I was 17. And so, I, you know, I'm not employable. And at the time, I was uh, unemployed. At the Why time, do you think was, you're not employable? Because I can't have a boss. Me too. Oh my God. That's the I know. I, that means you're not employable. Right? <laughs> Who would hire me? I mean, I'm, I, I, mean, I can't have that. a boss. Like, I don't take direction well. Yeah, me neither. And uh, because all the direction seems like it doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like, why would I do that? So, anyway, but, but it was quite by accident. Dry Farm Wines didn't begin as a business. I wasn't even thinking of it as a business at all. I was trying to find, I, I, I started experimenting with a ketogenic diet, therapeutic ketogenic diet. Today, I'm not therapeutic anymore. I'm like what I would call sort of more conventional keto. But I experimented very seriously about six years ago for a two or two and a half year period with what I would call a therapeutic ketogenic diet, which is like super high fat, uh, like 80% fat, 70 to 80% fat, very low carb, and very moderate protein. Was there something specific that you were trying to combat? No, not at all. I, I, at the time, I was trying to break through what I thought was a weight loss plateau, right? Like I wanted to lose five more pounds, right? I just couldn't, like, just couldn't get there. 
Uh, crazy thing is, since I, when I became keto, I, I didn't lose five pounds. I lost 20 pounds, actually. And that was never my intention. I was just like trying to break through this weight loss plateau. So it wasn't a medical condition, but I enjoyed the benefits, the cognitive benefits of being keto so much that I just continued it and really got deep, deep into it. And, uh, and then, you know, over time, a couple of years I did this and then it just sort of became boring. Like therapeutic keto is really kind of boring because it's a very limited window of eating. Right, 80% fat, 70 to 80%. It's like very, very narrow window. And you're a carnivore, yeah? Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And so, so then I went to kind of modified keto, which is like an Atkins diet, which is what I am on today and have been for the last four years or so. In addition to, as we talked about earlier, I only eat once per day. So that makes being staying in ketosis really simple because you just, you know, by middle of the afternoon, no matter what you ate the night before, as long as it was within reason, you know, no matter what you eat the night before, about two o'clock in the afternoon, I'll be back in ketosis. I mean, if I ate, if I got off program a little bit, like some French fries or potatoes or blah, 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 you know, by middle of the afternoon, two o'clock in the afternoon, I'll be back in nutritional ketosis. But when I started experimenting with the ketogenic diet, and this could have been a number of cofactors. So I don't really know, you know, I couldn't drink, conventional wines anymore. I had stopped drinking spirits um, at the end of my rock and roll life some 25 years ago, right? So I haven't drank, probably drank spirits in the last 25 years, probably 10 times. And so, you know, I had already stopped drinking spirits, but I thought when I had this problem drinking wine, I thought it was the alcohol. I thought I was just having this, you know, thing with alcohol. So I started looking for lower alcohol wines. And then I determined that it was really hard to find wines at 12 and a half or below. Really hard. Like you go in the grocery store, you try to find anything with 12 and a half or below, you, you just can't find it. Right? So, why, so sorry, just to back up for a second. So why did you go off spirits? Were you just, it just made you feel like crap? And then- Yeah, just hangovers. And, you know, and I have a, I have a rather intense, you know, excessive personality. And so, you know, um, I play hard and, and the spirits just weren't working for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like just not working. Yeah. And alcohol is, you know, so alcohol is, a, you know, is, is over time, it's a destructive drug. So it's a progressive drug, right? So the more you drink, the less tolerance you have. People think when they're young or all, the more you drink, the more tolerance you have. But that was you age, actually, you have less tolerance. And so then less tolerance means that your brain doesn't function as well on it. And so consequently, it starts to have negative impacts on your life. Now, maybe you're functional, right? So there are a lot of functional alcoholics. Maybe you're functional, but, but you're not operating at peak performance. So my goal is to operate at a peak performance, right? And so for me, spirits didn't, just didn't really enable that. And so when I got to a point where wine wasn't enabling it either. So I thought it, at first I thought it was just the alcohol because alcohol is toxic. So I thought, well, so I'm actually on vacation in Mexico with a friend who was the smartest person I know in the wine business. And I was like, you know, I'm thinking about making a lower alcohol wine because, you know, this isn't working for me anymore. And he says, have you drank any of the low alcohol wines from Europe? And I was like, no, never heard of it. 
The other thing is that alcohol stated on the wine bottle is not required to be accurate by law. Oh, really? You, yes, this is another collusion between Washington politicians and the wine industry. So the stated amount of alcohol in a wine bottle is not required to be accurate. But There's like, a reason for that. By how far off could it be? I mean, what? It can be legally as much as a percent and a half. So if it says 14%, it could be 15 and a half percent. Right. Now, there's no enforcement on anything printed on the bottle, right? So it could be 17 and say 14. There's no enforcement. Mm-hmm. But by law, it's not even required to be accurate, which is one of the reasons there's no enforcement around it. So just looking at a wine bottle doesn't inform much. But as I said, if you went in the grocery store or a wine shop and you look for anything at 12.5% or below, you'd be very challenged to find that. Right. But to your friend's point, so like Vino Verde is one that I know of, right? That's like, it's a Portuguese white that's generally, I thought, I thought it was closer to like eight or nine. Well, categorically, wine can be as low as 7% mm-hmm. and still be called wine. Anything below 7% legally cannot be called wine. So we sell wines between 7 and 12.5%. And as I said earlier, most of what I drink is 9, 10, or 11%. And we do lab testing, right, to ensure alcohol. We do lab testing for sugar and mycotoxins and, and, and alcohol. Mm-hmm. And we reject wines all the time because they're higher than what's stated on the bottle. And so it's just a common practice. Mm-hmm. And um, so, but... Anyway, I became ketogenic and I couldn't process wine anymore. So I started looking for lower alcohol wines. And from that, I accidentally stumbled upon the natural wine revolution, which five or six years ago was just really getting underway. Today, it's a national phenomenon, in part caused by us and in part caused by journalists and, you know, wine aficionados who discovered that you drink natural wines and you feel better, right? And they taste better, better for you. And so... But at the time, nobody knew what natural wine was. I didn't either. I never heard the term. I was like, natural wine, what? WTF? I was like, what is that? And then I stumbled upon a natural wine importer in Paris, a guy named Josh Adler, who's an American who lives in Paris, who has a wine importing company called the Paris Wine Company. And I discovered his wines quite by accident. And then I, I sent him an email. And I was like, I love your wines and they're lower alcohol. And and then I started to get educated on the natural wine movement, which was really just getting underway in central France. And still not thinking of it as a business. I was just like, I love this wine. I'm just thinking of it as wine. So Wait, can I just I, interrupt for a real quick second? So, sure. And maybe you're going to get into this, but aside from the lower alcohol content, what else, like what is the criteria for a wine to be considered natural? Great question. So natural wines have three basic criteria. And they never deviate. By the way, there's no international certification or standard for natural wines that's certified. Now, Dry Farm Wines, my company, we have a certification process. And that certification guarantee and quantifications are over and above just being natural. We can, we'll talk about what that means. But we have a certification process. France just announced three months ago that they were going to be the first country to certify natural wines. So there will be now a country that has an international certification for what natural wine means. But natural wine is very simple. One, it's always organic or biodynamically farmed. Biodynamic farming is a prescriptive advanced form of organic farming. Number two, and this is very important, they are always, natural wines are always fermented 
with wild indigenous yeast that's, that is present in the vineyard where the grapes are grown. So yeast have a high impact on what, how things taste, just like with sourdough bread or like yeast and all kinds of baking or brewing. Yeast have a huge impact on how things taste. Mm-hmm. So the reason that they use these yeasts is because you can't make wine in very large volumes. These factories, they can't use native yeast. Native yeast just does, it's too fragile. It's difficult to work with. It requires a lot of coddling, right? So they're fermented with these wild yeast. And number three, there are no additives. The 76 additives we talked about, they're not in natural wines. And so there is an international understanding of what this means. So for people in the wine business, for those who are informed, everybody knows what a natural wine is. And increasingly because the mainstream press and, and we've, told millions of people, you know, we were featuring over a hundred mainstream press outlets last year. You know, the... This podcast will be 101. Yeah, exactly. Nice, <laughs> nice, nice. Well, we were featured many hundreds of podcasts. I'm talking I'm about kidding. major... No one's listening. Alba, like Bloomberg and Forbes and <laughs> New York Times. And- <laughs> Can we go back for a second just on the fermentation piece? Because I think it's a good segue into just sugar in general, right? Like, can you talk a little bit about, obviously, like the, the difference between like full fermentation right so this so the most common question we get because our wines are sugar-free that sugar-free is a legal standard yeah right there is a legal standard issued by the ttb and the fda of what sugar-free means because lots of people want to say they're sugar-free and it's like so there's a legal standard for it our wines are sugar-free so the the most common question that we get is how can your wines be sugar-free because there's all that sugar and grape juice and that's true and that has to do with fermentation. So here's how fermentation works. Here's how you make wine. So you take grape juice, which is teeming with sugar. It's very sweet, right? And you inoculate it with yeast. In this case, it, it's a, what we call a spontaneous fermentation, a spontaneous inoculation, because the yeast is already in the juice. Once it, rises, once it rises to a temperature that will activate the yeast, it will spontaneously inoculate. So in, in conventional wines, what happens is they first pour sulfur dioxide into the juice to kill the native yeast because they don't want the native yeast competing with the conventional yeast and all the problems associated with the native yeast weakness. So they kill the native yeast and then they inoculate it with this lab-grown yeast. But either way, the process from that point forward, it works the same. So you inoculate the, the, the sugary grape juice with yeast. And then the yeast, when they activate, they start eating the sugar. Um, just like the Pac-Man, there's eating the sugar and the yeast eat the sugar. And the byproduct of that, what they expel is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. So that's how you make wine. Right, the product of the yeast is ethyl alcohol and carbon dioxide. If the yeast, and here's to your point and question about sugar, if the wine, and this is winemaking styles, this is these are techniques. If the wine is allowed to fully ferment, meaning that the yeast eats all of the available sugar, just like that, eats all of the available sugar, right? Then the wine will be sugar free because, and the yeast will die. And dead yeast and wine are known as leads. So the yeast eats all of the available sugar. And just, you don't have, not all natural wines are sugar-free. There are many conventional wines that are sugar-free, 
right? The problem is you don't know which ones are and aren't because there's no labeling. So, so it's, it's not unique to natural wines that they be sugar-free. There are conventional wines that are sugar-free as well. It's a winemaking style. Now, what's more common in conventional wines is that they're not sugar-free. And how they become not sugar-free is that the winemaker, again, pours sulfur dioxide into the fermenting wine. So there's this little gauge, there's this little instrument that floats in the wine uh, in the tank, and it will tell you exactly how much sugar is in it during the fermentation process. You'll see the sugar go down and down and down and down. But as a matter of winemaking style, the conventional winemaker will pour sulfur dioxide into the juice to kill the yeast, stopping the fermentation before the yeast complete eating all the sugar, leaving what's known in the wine industry as residual sugar, or RS is its term in the wine industry, leaving RS in the wine. Now, why do they do that? Because sugar gives wine a longer finish. Sugar gives wine more mouthfeel, right? Even if it doesn't taste sweet, you know, it, it, it adds body to the wine. And so we, te- we did lab testing a few months ago on the top 20 best-selling wines in the United States. And only two of them met our criteria for sugar-free. Only two of 20. Wow. Right? And is so, that like zero, zero residual sugar or is it? It's less, less than, than one gram per liter. Okay. And a wine bottle is 750 milliliters. A liter is 1,000 milliliters. So it's, it's less than one gram for more than a wine bottle, which statistically and legally is sugar-free. And so at the, at the serving level, it's statistically sugar-free. Mm-hmm. So, and, and again, that's not necessarily unique to us. The only thing that's unique to us about it is every single wine we sell is lab tested and guaranteed to be sugar-free. When you're buying wine in the store or anywhere else, even if it's natural wine. So let's talk about that for a moment. So let's talk about you don't buy wine from us, which is cool. I still think you should be drinking natural wine. If you're drinking natural wine, it does not mean it meets all of our certifications, but it does mean that it's natural. Now, natural wines can be higher than 12.5%. So our certification is we require that wines be irrigation-free or dry-farmed, as it would be known. It's the name of our company, Dry Farm Wines. None of our wines ever see irrigation. There's a lot of reasons why irrigation is not good for you. It's not good for the planet. It's not good for the vine. That's a whole other topic. We could dive down a deep wormhole about why irrigation is bad. But common sense will tell you that bad for the planet. So, and grapevines have been growing over 10,000 years on the planet and were never irrigated until the 1970s. Today, Nearly 100%, more than 99% of U.S. vineyards are irrigated. And you irrigate very simply for money and greed. Irrigation is cheaper to farm. It's easier to farm. And it also creates a higher yield. Yield means the size of the cluster of berries. And the fruit weighs more. It might not surprise you if you fill great berries with water, they weigh more. Well, fruit is sold by weight. The more it weighs, more it's worth. So there wasn't any irrigation in American vineyards until the early 1970s. Before that, they were all dry farmed. Now they're all irrigated, uh, which is one of the reasons we don't sell domestic wine, because um, virtually none are dry farmed. There's a number of reasons why we don't sell domestic wines, and just none of them meet our standards for 
our criteria for purity and health. So, but a wine that is created using irrigation could still be considered natural. You just got you. Got yes, to- there are natural wines that are irrigated, mm-hmm. and most of the natural wines in the United States are irrigated. But this but is just remember, this- irrigation was not a standard of natural winemaking; it was farming, organic or biodynamic, native yeast, and no additives. I just that there's no international standard for lack of irrigation on that. So what countries, can you just tell me, because I obviously have been ordering your product for quite some time. And I, you know, it's it's nice how you can kind of participate a bit in the, you know, in selecting or directing where, you know, where you would like your wine from. But what what countries are doing it best, do you think, in terms of natural wine production? Like, where are you sourcing the most wine? Or what can you rank and order? Um, Well, France is definitely number one. There's more natural wine grown in France than anywhere in the world. Uh, Italy is probably number two in terms of natural winemaking. See, natural wine is less than one-tenth of one percent of the wine business. It's a fraction. It's tiny. We're the largest buyer and seller of natural wines in the world by a multiple of many acts, right? Because no, no, people don't understand natural wines. and Natural winemakers, natural wine growers can't sell the wine in the United States because Americans buy brands, right? What they see in food and wine or they buy brand or they buy label, right? They don't understand anything about this small, tiny farmer who has no brand, right? So they can't sell them. So, but back to the, back to the question of if you're drinking wine, you should be drinking natural wine, right? And um, in, in my estimation, so and how you can find natural wine are two ways. So if you live in New York, it's super easy, right? There are natural wine bars. My favorite one is called Ten Bells. It's in the East Village. Love that place. Do you know Pips? Oh. No, I don't know Pips. Pips just opened in Brooklyn, and they actually have managed to re reemerge post COVID, which is very happy because they they literally launched in like February. Well, I haven't been to New York since COVID. I haven't um, been to New York since January. Ten Bells is great, and next time you come, you got to check out Pips too. Yeah, there are lots of natural wine restaurants and bars in Brooklyn. So, and Tim Bell's like just a party, right? So it's just so awesome. It's so dark and fun and just, um, just, just a huge favorite. Uh, you know, I recommend that people drink natural wine. That doesn't mean it's going to be lower in alcohol. Natural wines are commonly 13, 14 or 15%. Our certification is dry farm, no irrigation, lower alcohol, less than 12.5%, sugar-free. Not all natural wines are going to be sugar-free. Right, that's our criteria. So our certification and guarantee of these purity standards are higher than even natural. But if you live in New York, you can find lots of places to drink natural wine, and you can find natural wine retailers. Right, they don't sell anything but natural wine, and that's usually the case. So if you're a natural wine retailer, and you'll find natural wine retailers in New York, Chicago, Dallas, Miami, San Francisco, Los Angeles, in super huge metropolitan markets. Right, but other than that, natural wines are very difficult to find. If you live in Kansas, you couldn't swing a dead elephant and hit a natural wine, right? So it's and it's, we see a lot of dead elephants over here. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Where do you live? Better than swinging cats. We're uh, we're both in Brooklyn. Okay, both in Brooklyn. So yeah, the Four Horsemen. Love the Four Horsemen in Brooklyn. Yeah, and uh, lots of actually, I think the I think the the sexiest. Natural wine bar, perhaps the sexiest wine bar I've ever been into is uh, it's called Havenmeyer. Look it up. It's on Havenmeyer Street. 
Uh, it's in Brooklyn. You must yeah, go. Graham stop. You must go. Or Lorimer stop. Havermeyer sure. or Havermeyer? Havermeyer. Havermeyer. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. Can it's you? It's so it's ridiculously so dark, romantic like, and sexy. <laughs> hey Zoe, what are you doing later? Yeah, I exactly. knew you were going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so this is um, yeah. So you know, and then you can also there are two ways to find natural wine. And if you don't know about this and you're a natural wine lover, thank you for being members of our club. You can get natural wine there. But if you're in Brooklyn, there is a smartphone app. It's based out of Europe. It's called Raisin. And Raisin is the definitive source. It's a map-based app, M-A-P map, that it's really quite, works quite well. That is where all the natural wine bars, restaurants, and retailers are listed. Oh, so cool, you can cool. download it on your smartphone. It's called Raisin. It it's works like- super well in New York. It works great in Los Angeles. It works great in San Francisco. Most of the country doesn't work at all. <laughs> if you're in Europe, if you're in Paris or London or Barcelona or you know, any you know, major markets across Europe, it works exceptionally well. And, um, and so... It's just a fun guide to to to, to natural wine locations. Cool. And then you can also do a Google search if you live in, in, in a major market because the press has been quite active on natural wines in the last couple of years. So you can do a Google search for best natural wine bars or restaurants or whatever. And if you're in a major market, then uh, then there'll be listings for that. And you can find those listings even in sub-tier markets, not in small markets, not like you know Kansas or something, but. Des Moines, but you know, if you live in you know Denver, you probably have two or three places that sell natural wines um, in some capacity. You won't have a natural wine retailer, but you'll have like a, a bar that sells natural wines or something like that. So anyway, I you know recommend that people drink natural wines, whether they get them from us or not. Just buying them from us just gets these higher s- standards of testing and purity because every wine we drink and sell, we drink the same wines that you're drinking. Right, I drink the same wines. I get to pick and choose my wines, of course, out of a big warehouse, which is kind of cool. Um, um, but anyway, so yeah, so just drink natural wine. Just drink natural wine. That's all we have to say. Wait, I, I want to ask you a little bit about like because do we touch on uh, polyphenols at all? Can we talk about that? We did not. Okay, can we uh, can we uh, we're not going to go down the path of like resveratrol or anything like that. But I are natural wines organic biodynamic wines um do they have higher levels of polyphenols they do so both organic and non-irrigated wines both have higher levels of polyphenol now i'm not here to say that it's some kind of magic bullet but they are higher and it's scientifically proved that they're higher it doesn't mean that there's like you know some kind of health potion it just means that they're higher and they're just generally better Right. And so irrigation, it might not surprise you. You fill a great berry with water. You dilute a lot of things, including the polyphenols. Right. And so, and also when a vine struggles, um, it, it goes through what all plants go through, homesis. It creates, when a vine struggles, it creates a, a defense immunity defense system for itself. And that creates higher polyphenols. And so, and also polyphenols are higher in red wine than white. So there are about 200 of these compounds. There are also flavonoids, antiflavonoids, polyphenols. But and just, just for folks that aren't totally familiar with this stuff, can you just talk about what they actually are and why we want them? Well, polyphenols, and they're, 
hundreds of them. So in red wine, they're over 800. In white wine, they're just over 200. And the reason they're more in red wine, what's that? They're antioxidants, right? Right. Yes. Well, there are many different types of compounds. We don't fully understand them all. The most famous one, as you mentioned, is resveratrol, (coughs) which is found exclusively in red wine. And resveratrol, the reason it's famous is because it has been shown in lab studies, particularly in small organisms like yeast and worms, which is where much of your longevity study is done because they have such short lifespans. So it's been shown in organisms, including lab mice, to extend lifespan by 30% or so. But these doses of resveratrol are so high and in the, in the, there's no human proof that it works for humans. But for the lab animals, for the mice, the doses are so high, you would never be able to consume enough by drinking wine. And so it's a bit of a red herring and a marketing thing from the wine industry saying right. that, you know, that you're going to live longer from resveratrol. That's just kind of nonsense. There's no proof of that. And we don't make that claim. Here's what we say. There are more polyphenols in organic and dry farmed fruit. That is a fact. And there's more polyphenols in red wine than white. And how that happens is that the additional polyphenols come from the contact with the skin and the seed and the stems. So when you make red wine, red wine is, if you squeeze the juice from a red wine grape, it's clear, just like a white wine grape. How red wine gets its color is that once the juice is pressed, then it the skins and the seed and the stems get poured into the tank where the juice is and it macerates for a period of several days to several weeks, depending upon the winemaker's style, right? what they're trying to achieve with their wine. So that maceration with the skins, soaking with the skins is how red wine gets its color. It's also where it gets its tannin structure and also where it gets its higher polyphenols its contact with the skin. Yeah, so we want like all of that you know, I think sometimes people are grossed out by like sediment at the bottom of their glass, at the bottom of the bottle, right? But like that's actually... Thing. Sediment is naturally occurring in wine. Right. And there's nothing wrong with it at all. In fact, it adds texture to wine. So sediment is an issue of filtering or non-filtering. So we don't allow filtering of wine. Filtering of wine is a sterilization process that removes soul and texture from the wine. But it does make the wine clear or the technical term is called lipidity. Clarity in wine is called lipidity. So it, is, it has greater lipidity if it's filtered, meaning it's clear. And, and Americans have several myths and misunderstandings about wine. One of them is that the clearer the wine is, the better it is. They also believe the darker a red wine is, the higher quality it is. There's no truth to that statement. Actually, I would submit it's just the opposite. But, but Americans believe that darker, richer, bolder red wine is better, just like the way they eat, darker, richer, better, right? When you eat like we eat, then you actually want something that's lighter, fresher, right? Because that's how we eat, right? You don't want, but the average American palate needs this bold, dark, high alcohol to cut through their dead palate. Right, because they're we're so sophisticated. Been, what's that? It's because we're so sophisticated. Exactly. We live in Brooklyn. I mean, let's, I mean, you're sophisticated, of course. So 
you know, this, I mean, Brooklyn's like one of the few living places of true hipster sophistication left, right? I mean, I mean beer, I, beards and boots. Beards and boots, hipster or homeless, we don't know. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's, um, that is the story on polyphenols. All right. Thank you for that. I'm so happy. I can't wait for my uh, friend who is a wine rep to listen to this because she was like, I, she's like, told her I was going to like call her out, but I won't do that. What did she say? Well, when I told her about dry farm wine, wines a while ago, she was just like, I don't know. She gets like a little snobby. She's also a Taurus. She's just really stubborn and like kind of a contrarian in general. This is like right. her best friend. So She's like, uh, you know, like, I don't get, isn't this like, they're all about their whole thing is like no sugar. And I was just like, but why, I was like, but why the face when you say that? Like, why would that be a bad thing? I think she's just looking at it as like, you know, it's just a diet, like diet Coke. Yeah, no, no, look, the traditional wine industry, of course, I rail against the industry. I live in Napa Valley. I can't get a social invite. haven't had a social invite for years, right? I mean, nobody wants no one to wants to hang out with you. <laughs> right. Nobody wants to hang out with me and rail the industry, right? So yeah. it's like, you know, at, in 2009, it was Citizen of the Year in Napa Valley, right? For my civic contribution. Today, I can't get my phone calls returned. Right? You. So, You'll be welcome in Brooklyn. You, you come to Brooklyn. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know. There's probably some people there, like your friend. So the people in the conventional wine industry do not want to hear anything about dry farm wines. No. Right. I mean, we're so prolific on social. I mean, everybody knows us, right? Like, I mean, if you've probably seen us on social. So, yeah. So, like, you know, they're so prolific. And the wine industry, like, they're like, oh, this is nonsense. It's like, why would you care about sugar? Why would you care about these people? This is just, this is a natural wine's a fad. This is another thing, you know, natural wine is a fad. This is just like. Yeah, it's just so uh, silly to me because, like, we're moving. So, when you look at just like the general food space like we're all moving in the direction of clean labels and transparency anyway like why should it be any different in the wine world like well there's you know, let's see fortunately france in, in two years france is going to be the first country to require contents label on wine it's not going in for two more years but hopefully then you know that will but listen the wine industry the lobby spends millions of dollars to keep wine nutritional information off of bottles and contents label it's not an accident it's no accident at all that it's not there. There have been many efforts to get transparency and labeling on wine, and they have failed because the wine industry has a very powerful lobby, right? So it's not an accident. Oh, why don't we have wine labels? Oh, nobody thought of that. No, yeah. no we don't have it because the wine industry doesn't want it, right? They don't want you to know that you might be drinking dimethyl dicarbonate, which is highly toxic and commonly used to treat wines, right? Tens of millions of gallons of California wine are treated with it every year. I mean, it's a huge company that sells this product. Right? So, and dimethyl dicarbonate, which if you look it up on Wikipedia, it'll say hazard colon toxic, right? So it's like, and so it's, but it's used to treat the most common bacterial faults. So when you make wine, there are bacteria, bacteria that are, will fault the wine, make the wine faulted or make the wine taste bad, right? And so dimethyl dicarbonate is used to treat the single most common bacterial fault in wine known as Brettamyces. Brettamyces grows naturally in cellars. It's very difficult to get rid of. Once it gets in a cellar, it's very difficult to get rid of, 
right? And so, and so this Brettomyces, which is this faulted bacteria, there's this chemical, dimethyl dicarbonate, that is used to treat the wine. It's so toxic when the wine is treated that no one can be in the winery, especially licensed contractors come in on hazmat suits and spray the wine with this material. And then if you drain the wine within 24 hours of treatment, you would likely die. It's very toxic, right? So the wine industry doesn't want you to know that there's dimethyl dicarbonate in your wine, right? Or that it's been treated as such. Now, the people who make the chemical and the FDA says that it hydrolyzes into methanol and, and, and carbon dioxide over time and that it's safe to drink. Well, I, perhaps that's true, although I don't want to drink methanol. It's the same thing. It's an antifreeze. I don't want to drink methanol because it's 10 times more toxic than ethanol. So, so I don't want to be drinking methanol. But, but here's what I think. I think you should know what's in your wine. And you should know and choose. If you choose to drink this chemical or other treatments to the wine, if you choose that, you should have the transparency to know that you're choosing that. Right? That's all. Right. And if not dissimilar to the GMO labeling issue, which is that people are not upset about certain types of GMOs, but they have a right to know what they're actually consuming. Absolutely. And you should just have a right to know, like, I don't eat packaged foods. Like, it's super rare I would eat anything out of a package. But if I do, and it's not a pickle, which doesn't, well, certain pickles have sugar in them. Pickles I eat don't. But, but if it's not a sour pickle, like a dill pickle, I want to know, know what's in it. Like if I'm going to pick up a, if I'm going to bar, buy a, a jar of mayonnaise, I want to know if there's sugar in it, right? And so, because there's commonly sugar in mayo. So, you know, I personally... When eating mayo, I eat Mark Sisson's Primal Kitchen, sugar-free, made with avocado oil, not, not highly processed vegetable oils as most mayonnaise are made out of. So, you know, I want to know what I'm putting in my body. And I choose a sugar-free life because we've already talked about what I believe is the toxicity of, of excessive sugar. And sugar is in everything. Yeah. Right? yeah. And so... The problem is when you buy a bottle of wine, you can't look on the back and see a nutritional label and know whether it contains sugar or how much, right? You just don't have, you don't have that privilege. Yeah, right? it's not, it's just, it's crazy. Like when I put on pajamas, I want to know if there are flame retardants in them, you know? Yeah, for sure. Simple things, small apps. Simple. Stick with wool. <laughs> exactly, wool. Like or silk. Natural flame retardant. Anyway, we could really just go down the rabbit hole. We sound like a, just a ton of fun guys, by the way. <laughs> well, when, I, when, when COVID lifts and I get back on my plane, then we need to party in New York. Yeah, man, let's do it. Let's just and do Thank you. Tour. I know you guys have been supporters since February of 19, coming up on like, gosh, I guess almost two years. Yep. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you for having your team is so awesome and nice and really helpful. And it's always a pleasure to, you know, connect with you guys. And I mean, well, I I'm think, serious when I come to Brooklyn, we have to party. Oh, no, we're serious. we're no, totally we're serious. serious. We're totally serious. I think, um, you know, this just fits so well into what we are constantly trying to kind of share, which is like, live your life, drink the wine, please, you know, come hang with us if you want to drink the wine. We're definitely not going to be like the preachy, precious wellness people that are like one glass per week. But the point is like, know what you're doing, know what you're consuming, get educated and make better decisions. And then, you know, all bets are off. Extend nice. that two hour window. 
Or I don't. I drink at least a bottle a night. So when we come, when I come to Brooklyn, it's gonna be rock and roll. Oh my god, we're gonna just trash. We're gonna be flipping tables at. Uh, I'm dancing on the table. I'm going to be dancing on the bar at 10 bells. All right. Well, it's almost five o'clock here, which means that we get to start. It's nine o'clock somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, y'all are super fun. Yeah. A lot of love and heart and light to both of you. Thank you for having me today. It was a great time. Thank you so much, Todd. Yeah. I look forward to seeing you in New York. Definitely. All right. Peace. See you. Take care. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.